Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Jonah. And Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and we will be in chapter number two tonight. Jonah chapter number two. And if you, most of you have been here for the first part of the story. And uh, in this story, uh, Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh and preach uh, the fact that judgment was coming and that they needed to repent or else they were going to be destroyed. And Jonah didn't like the Ninevites for, we talked about maybe some of the reasons, but he didn't like them and uh, he decided, I'm not going to obey the Lord. I'm going to take a boat and I'm going to get as far away from uh, Nineveh and the Lord as I can get. In his mind, I think maybe at this point he thought the Lord lived there in the temple and there was a presence of the Lord in the temple. So, so he thought if he went to Tarsus, the Lord would leave him alone. Well, Even though he was out of the will of God, he wasn't out of the reach of God, was he? So God sent a storm, and he sent a storm, and it just about destroyed the ship he was in. And so the crew cast lots, and Jonah's lot fell. And actually, I think some of the crew got saved. We looked at that last week. But uh, in any case, they threw Jonah overboard uh, uh, to remove God's curse. And uh, we, we read in verse 17 of the last chapter, he says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now if that didn't get your attention, nothing will. But apparently it got Jonah's attention. And so Jonah began to pray to the Lord God Jehovah and, and listen to his prayer. Now he's going to record his prayer for us. And Verse number one, it says, Then Jonah prayed to Jehovah his God from the fish's belly. So we know we're in the, he's in the belly of the fish uh, when he prays, but we really don't know at what point he prayed. There are some expositors who believe that it took three days and three nights in the fish to break Jonah to a point where he began to pray. Some people, are a lot, there are several expositors, including men like J. Vernon McGee, who believe that Jonah was dead at the point he was swallowed by the well, and then he was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, and then God raised him from the dead. And uh, uh, so if you look at this thing in chronological order, that's really what the text says, because it says, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights, and then Jonah prayed to the Lord. So we know, it, we know that he was in that fish three days uh, before he prayed, but uh, uh, those who think he died believe that the reason they think he died is because uh, the, the story of Jonah and his time in the belly of the fish is a type that Jesus used of his own death, burial, and resurrection. And so Jesus died and was raised after the, after the third day. And so the, the type to them demands that Jonah was dead and he was raised on the third day. But you can't say that about a type because a type is never the exact story of what it's a type of. And so uh, it very well could just be a type and Jonah could have been alive in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Uh, uh, so, you know, I, 
I kind of looking at the text, and you'll see this as we go through the rest of this chapter, it looks to me like Jonah might have died. I don't think we can be sure. But in any case, uh, God got his attention, didn't he? No matter what. I mean, could he have been alive in a fish for three days and three nights? Well, I believe he, he, he could have. Uh, in uh, her book, uh, Trace Kellogg's book, The Bible Today, she talks about two fish that are large enough to swallow a horse whole, less alone a man. Uh, there's the uh, sulfur bottom uh, whale and there's the whale shark. And both of those fish, they don't have teeth. And what they do, they take their prey into their mouths and then they strain the seawater and then they swallow them whole. Well, that would fit the story of Jonah. In fact, in 1933, let me read from her book, uh, a sulfur uh, whale, a hundred foot long, was killed off the shores of Cape Cod and his mouth was 12 feet wide. The head of that type of whale is its own storage chamber of air and when he has something in his stomach he doesn't like, he spits it out close to the shore. So definitely, you know, that sounds like the story of, it would fit the story of Jonah. Uh, here's another case she gives. The Cleveland, she says the Cleveland plane dealer in 1930 I'm sorry, in 1950, published a story about a dog who fell overboard a ship, and it was found six days later in the head of a whale shark, and it was barking. It was alive and barking. So that's a recorded case. M.D. Pravil recorded the true story of a man named James Bartley, who was thought to have been drowned at sea, but two days after he disappeared, more sailors who were uh, cutting up uh, some sailors who were cutting up the whale shark that they had caught found him alive but unconscious in the belly of the great fish. So there's one story. And then the London Museum in an exhibit called uh, the, the Jonah of the 20th Century showed how a sailor in the English Channel was swallowed by a whale shark and he, that he was trying to ha when he was trying to harpoon the fish. And four days later, the fish was sighted and destroyed. And when it was opened up, the lost sailor was found unconscious but alive. He was rushed to the hospital, and the only thing he was suffering from was shock. I mean, I'm sure he was shocked, but uh, that's the only thing he was suffering from. So there's little or no doubt that a man could live in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights. It would be rare. It would be unusual. Uh, but it, the story doesn't require that because the text told us that God prepared a fish. He could prepare a fish with a, with a cabin in it. You know, and, and uh, waiters and waitresses and no telling what kind of life Jonah had. I don't think so. And you read the story, it, was a lot, it wasn't anything like that. But he prepared the fish. And so it could have been any kind of fish. And the fish was large enough, obviously, that he could have been alive. But he also could have been dead. He could have been dead and, and in the fish for three days and three nights. And then God raised him from the dead and the fish spit him out on the shore. It, it, either way... Our God's big enough to, to keep Jonah alive or to raise him from the dead uh, uh, and get him to the place where he wanted him to be. Now, when at the end of three days, this is what we know. Jonah was a broken man, and he prayed from the belly of the well. And there's a lesson there for us, because there's a lot of times in our lives that God has to get us to a point where where. We reach the point where we humble ourselves and call upon the Lord. And sometimes it takes a well-like experience to get us to that point. 
That's why when you're praying for someone's salvation, some friend or relative, you're praying that they get saved, you got to back off when you pray. Because when you pray, you don't know what God's going to send in their lives in order to get them to a point where they will humble themselves in the sight of the Lord. I mean, God is not going to save an arrogant person. He's never saved an arrogant person. Remember what David said in Psalm chapter 51. He says, the sacrifice that God accepts are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That's the sacrifice. It's the only sacrifice that he accepts. I mean, we have to believe, but we can't believe until we bring our, ourselves or until God brings us to a point where we have a humble spirit. So we have to be careful how we pray for people. We have to be careful that we, we, when we're praying for them, the first priority of our prayers is their soul. Uh, because sometimes I hear, you know, sometimes we're praying for people that have a disease and we're not concerned about their their salvation and the disease that they have might be the very thing that God's using to get them to Christ. And so you got to be careful when you pray for that. I mean, God healed this disease. Well, first of all, are they saved? If they're saved, certainly we want to pray for their healing. But if they're not saved, we want to pray, Lord, your will be done in this case. Lord, use whatever they're going through, this well of an experience that they're in, to get them to Jesus Christ. Now, let's listen to how Jonah narrates his prayer when he's in the belly of the well. And this is really interesting. Look at verse number two. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Now listen to where he answered him from. He says, out of the belly of Sheol. Now that's interesting to me because Sheol in the Greek we translate Hades. And if you've studied Hades, Hades is a place at the center of the earth where uh, there are two, were two compartments, and we're not going to get into all of that, but if you read this parable about the rich man, or the story about, it's not a parable, it's a story about the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was in the place of Abraham's bosom, and he was there in, in a place called paradise. Jesus said when he was on the cross to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. So paradise is an act, was an actual place. I believe Jesus, when he preached the gospel down there, emptied out paradise and set the captives free, and they went on to heaven at that point. That's another story. We won't get into that tonight either. But the other compartment has not been emptied out. And when Jonah was in, the, in, in Sheol, if that's where he was at, I think he went to the same place the rich man went to, the bad compartment. And... Uh, out of the belly of Sheol. Now, he could be using that in his narrative as a metaphor of his experience. I mean, I don't think, maybe even Hades is better than being in the belly of the well. So, so to say out of the belly of Sheol, he might be using that as a metaphor, but what's the rule in hermeneutics? What do we do first when we, have a, when we have a situation in a text? We look at it first, literally, don't we? And so we're not given any indication here that this is a metaphor. So he very well might have died and gone to Sheol. Now his body's still in the belly of the well for three days and three nights. Just like Jesus' body was in the tomb for three days and three nights. But he says, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard me. Now, why did Jonah give in and finally say uncle to the Lord? Well, he had had enough. At this point, he had had enough. You'd think some of these other things would have broken him. I mean, I mean, why did it take so long to break him? I mean, uh, he says, I cried to the Lord because of my affliction. I mean, it was his affliction that broke him. 
But, but uh, I mean, that storm that he was in was an affliction. I mean, when he was cast into the sea, that was an affliction. You think he would have cried out when he was in the sea, Lord, I've had enough, save me. I'll go to Nineveh. I'll, I'll do anything you want me to do. But then he was swallowed by the well. And then some point inside the well or in Hades, uh, he finds himself in this, in this uh, terrible place. And he finally cries out to the Lord. And he asks the Lord to deliver him. I mean, that raises some questions for me. You know, I mean, if he went to Hades, into Sheol, into the earth, and we're going to get some indications that that's a possibility. I don't know if we can be sure of that. Then he actually allowed Jonah to go past this life into another world and then saved him out of that world. That's kind of interesting to me uh, if that is what actually happened. I kind of lean to the fact that that, that didn't happen because because uh, it says man is appointed to die and wants the judgment. But, you know, God can do anything he wants to do. God sets principles in, in, in his word, but, but it, he, in his foreknowledge, had elected Jonah to be his child, and, he, and that's what it took to send him all the way to hell to get him saved, and, then, then, and that's not hell, but Hades, then that's what God can do if he wants to do. And so uh, here he is, and uh, uh, he's, he's in the belly of the well or in Sheol, and he finally cries out to the Lord. Now, there's a couple of lessons that we can learn there from this. First of all, that God will put us through whatever extreme affliction it requires to get us saved. I mean, he will let us go through anything to get us saved or to get us back on track if we are saved. And so... You know, it's best when God tells us to do something to do what he tells us to do. We don't want to end up in the belly of a well. Here's the other thing, though, that you see. No matter how extreme the affliction, God will still hear your voice if you call upon the Lord. I mean, here was Jonah. I mean, he humbled himself. You've got to humble yourself. But he finally came to the point where he humbled himself and he called upon the Lord and the Lord heard his prayer. Look at verse number three. He says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and your billows and your waves passed over me. Now that can be a literal experience there that describes the time when he's thrown into the sea. That had to be a pretty horrific experience. That, and again, I don't understand why he didn't pray at that point, if that's what this is speaking of. But it also can be a very vivid description of the horrors of death. I mean, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, into death, and the flood surrounding me. Again, you know, you take it literal, or to use it as a metaphor, you use literal first, but, but it could be a metaphor of death. We, we really don't know. I mean, but, but death is not a pleasant thing. Uh, and, and you could use that as a picture of death. You cast me in the deep, I mean deep, all by myself, dark, into the heart of the sea and all the floods surrounded me, the floods of death and all your billows and your ways passed over me. I mean, death for a lost person is a horrible thing. It's like being swallowed by the sea. But that didn't end there for Jonah. He got swallowed by a well. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight. 
But watch this. Yet I will look toward, I'm, look, I'm in verse number four, yet I will look toward your holy temple. Remember, and we've looked at this on several occasions, we looked last week at the fact that God is omnipresent. So no matter where you are, you're in the sight of God. I mean, you might lose sight of God, but God doesn't lose sight of you. If you ascend to heaven, he's there. If you make your bed in hell, he is there. If you're in the belly of some well-like experience, horrible experience, he is there. And if you'll just look again towards his holy temple and seek God, you'll find him. Some say that Jonah is praying here in reference to, to Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem. I don't think so. I don't think he's into any religion here at this point. This is all real stuff. He's looking for Jehovah God, and he knows that Jehovah God lives in heaven. The Jehovah God on, on Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. And I think he calls out to God in the heavenly Jerusalem, the God who is omnipresent, who is omniscient, who is omnipotent, to save him from the situation that he's in. Because he didn't need his religion at this point. He was a religious man, but he knew his religion wasn't going to do him any good in the belly of a well. He needed the Lord. And listen to how he describes his state in verse number five. He says, the water surrounded me even to my soul. In other words, I wasn't just drowning physically. I was drowning spiritually. The deep closed around me. Now, that could be a picture of death or that could be a picture of being in the, a well. Think of the horrors of being. There's no lights in there or anything like that. I mean, you're in a well. If you're in the belly of a well, you're in, the, you're, in the, you're in maybe the worst possible pit you could possibly be in. All the odors, the darkness, the, the sea, the seaweeds, because weeds were wrapped around my head. I mean, my body... Jonah says, wasn't the only thing that was drowning and in darkness, my soul was drowning and it was in darkness. The life was being strangled out of me. I mean, by seaweeds or by his rebellious spirit, I think is probably the reason he was being strangled by the Lord. His soul was being strangled. Then in verse number six, he says, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. Now, this is really interesting right here. Get a picture of this. He went down. There's mountains in the sea. And he went all the way down to the foot, to the feet of those mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. See, that seems to indicate to me that maybe he went to Sheol, to the actual Sheol into Hades, and the bars to earth were closed behind him, and it seemed that his fate was set, and he was going to live forever in Hades and then in hell. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Jehovah, my God. And so here were these gates and they were shut, the gates to the earth. I mean, it is as if he's down in Hades and he cries out to the Lord and he says, Lord, I don't belong here. I don't belong in Hades. I belong with you. I belong in your will. Now, he's really humbling himself. And look what it took. I mean, this guy was a proud guy. Then in verse number seven, when my soul fainted within me, we, you could translate that when it died within me, 
I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your, ho- your holy temple. I mean, Jonah, here was this guy. He had done everything he could to run from the Lord, to get the Lord out of sight and out of mind. But now he's broken. And when all is lost, when his soul is fainted unto death, I mean, when his will is broken, what does he do? He calls upon the Lord, and here's the good news. The Lord hears his prayer. His prayer reaches heaven. Every prayer reaches heaven. Every sincere prayer offered by a person in humility. And really, the best prayers are those when we pray, when we've got a broken and contrite spirit. Every single one of them reaches heaven. And I don't care where you are of what you've done. The Lord hears your prayers. And he's going to answer your prayers. I mean, Jonah's very fortunate that he answered his prayer in the positive. If I was the Lord, I would have said, Jonah, you, hey, you're stuck there. You're going to stay there forever. But the Lord's much more gracious than I am. Verse number eight, those who regard worthless, listen, he's come to a point here. He understands. He understands that only Jehovah God could have saved him. Only Jehovah God could have got him out of this fix. In verse number eight, he says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. They forsake their own grace. What was Jonah's worthless idol? What was it? What was his worthless idol? I mean, it wasn't Baal. It wasn't Molech. It wasn't Asherah or any of the other pagan gods. What was his worthless idol? It was himself. He worshipped himself more than he worshipped the Lord. And that's the hardest idolatry to be set free from. We talked about this when we were in 1 Thessalonians last week that where Paul speaks of how the Thessalonians had turned from their idols to worship the true and living God. And I said back then when we were in that text that the hardest idol to turn from is ourself. Because even when we're worshiping pagan gods, what we're doing, we're putting our, we, we worship things that are less than us, so we, re, we really have put ourselves upon the throne. And God's not going to answer our prayers, and God's not going to, Bless us when we're still sitting on our own throne, when we haven't submitted to him. And so, so uh, Jonah gets this right now. He says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. God wants to give us all mercy and grace. But he can't do it as long as we're still sitting on the throne. I mean, I, I, to some degree, I guess he does bless us and give us grace because that's a process we're all going through. And I don't know we, any of us have really arrived where we have totally placed God on his throne. And we truly love the Lord God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. But that's what the Bible says. That's the way it's supposed to be. But most of us haven't done that. But I believe maybe Jonah had at this point. And so Jonah gives to the Lord, I think the greatest two sacrifices that we can give to the Lord. Now the greatest sacrifice of of all is what Jesus has done for us, but we didn't give that to the Lord. What's, what's the greatest sacrifice we can give? I have really three. We believe in the Lord, which I believe Jonah believed in the Lord at this point. There's no doubt he believed in the Lord. 
Because he'd either been raised from the dead or he'd been kept alive in a well for three days and three nights. So he believed in the Lord and he called upon the Lord. The sacrifice of thanksgiving and the sacrifice of obedience. Obedience. That's where God wanted to bring Jonah to where he believed in the Lord enough to be thankful to the Lord and enough to be obedient to the Lord. And that's exactly where he's brought him. Listen to what Jonah says in verse number six. I mean, I'm sorry, verse number nine. He says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. What do you think maybe Jonah vowed at this point? I'll tell you what he vowed. He said, I'm going to do your will, Lord. You want me to go to Nineveh? I'm going to go to Nineveh. He says, so I will pay what I have vowed. Uh, salvation is of the Lord. He believed. There's the belief. He was thankful. He was going to be obedient. And he believed the Lord. Grace and salvation, they come from nowhere else but the Lord. And so what was Jonah ready to do? He was ready to go to Nineveh. He was ready for God to take him back to the port. And he was going to get on a ship and he was going to Nineveh. He was going to head to Nineveh. But little did he know that while he was in his state of rebellion and while he was in the grave of this belly of this well, God had that well moving towards Nineveh, heading right straight to Assyria. And so we look at the last verse in the chapter. It says, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. He didn't have to board another boat. He didn't have to do anything. Guess where he was? He was right on the shores of Assyria. He was right exactly where God had told him to go in the first place. You know, I think all of us are traveling places we don't even realize where God's taking us. And we might be thinking we're going to go this way and God's got us on an entirely different direction from the place we think we're heading. And we're either traveling in a nice boat uh, and, and we're in God's will or we're going to be traveling in the belly of a well, some type of well of an experience. But either way, if you're a child of God, when God vomits you out, when that whatever mode of transportation he's moving you vomits you out, let me put it that way, you're going to be exactly where God wants you to be. Exactly where God wants you to be. God is sovereign over our lives. God is sovereign over the plans he has for us if we're children of God. And sometimes things seem as hopeless as they would seem if we were in the belly of a well. It seems in Jonah's mind because of the way the fish moved in the ocean or if he was dead and down in Hades, he was going nowhere. And the whole time the Lord was moving his body to exactly where he wanted him to be. God is sovereign. God has elected us. He's called us. And he's going to get us exactly where he wants us to be if we're children of God. I remember a while back when we were in Leviticus, and I've shared this with you before, and, and uh, Brenda was up in Philadelphia. And I had my Bible out, and I was studying, I think it was in Leviticus 
19, I can't remember the chapter and the verse. It's on the Liberty Bell, whatever it was. And I was studying that verse and preparing, going back over it for Wednesday night. And she texted me and said, guess what? I'm at, I'm at Philadelphia. And she said, and there's a verse on the Liberty Bell. And it was the exact same verse that I was studying. Now, what did that say to me? What that said to me was, I was doing exactly what God wanted me to do. I, I couldn't see why God had brought up in Philadelphia, why we were having to go through that experience, why God didn't do things a little bit differently where she was at home and, and I made enough money where she didn't have to work and all of those kind of things. And I was trying to figure it all out. And it was as if God said, this is, this is the plan I have for you. She's where she's supposed to be and you're where you're supposed to be at this very moment. And in the end, I know we'll all be exactly where, where God has planned for us to be. Even, even if you go kicking and screaming, even if you're traveling in the belly of the well, He's going to get you there if you're a child of God. And you have humbled yourself in the sight of the Lord and you have a contrite and humble spirit. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your sovereignty over our lives. That even in these difficult situations that, that all of us are going through, Lord, sometimes they're so difficult that they're as bad as being in, in the belly of a whale, Lord. And so we just thank you that we can trust you in every circumstance that in the end, all things are going to work for our good, that you're going to get us exactly where you want us, when you want us. Uh, it's going to all be part of your timing. We just, again, just thank you uh, for the great story of Easter. We thank you for, for uh, the fact that it's all this is possible through Jesus Christ and his shed blood for us. Lord, that's what makes us your children. Lord, and we want to offer up those sacrifices of obedience and belief and thanksgiving. And, and we know those things are well-pleasing to you. So, Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in our lives and for the great plan you have for all of us. And eventually we'll be with you in, in glory. And we just thank you for that. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.